What is connected learning? How has the internet changed the way we learn? What are some ways we can use social media to help us to engage our learners beyond the classroom? These are some of the questions we will address in this episode of Learner Engagement Activated, the podcast that helps you take teaching and learning to the next level with the latest in research and applications on learner engagement for students at all ages, levels, and environments. This podcast hosts leaders in the field to bring you advice for how to increase learner engagement to improve student outcomes. I'm your host, Ann Fency, and in this episode, I speak with Angelica Bezurek from the University of Minnesota about using the connected learning model to explore the use of social media for learning. Ready, set, activate. Dr. Angelica Pazurek is a faculty member in the Learning Technologies Program at the University of Minnesota. Her scholarship focuses on critical digital pedagogy and learning design, including unique strategies to foster engagement in online college courses. Her current research interests include learning engagement in online environments, the use of social media for connected learning in online college courses, and international initiatives in open and distance learning. In addition to research and teaching, Angel serves on the board of directors for the Association for Educational Communication and Technology, is an associate editor for eLearn Magazine, and is a member of the editorial advisory board for the Asian Journal of Distance Education. So Angel Pazurek, welcome to our podcast. Thanks so much, Anne. I'm really excited to have this opportunity. So thanks for inviting me. I love conversations and podcasts like this are, I think, such a fun space for genuine conversations and topics Um, that we're interested in. I've been a big fan of podcasts since before they were cool, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Early adopter. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, So I was looking at some of your stuff and I was interested to see that you use Ito's connected learning model in your research. And it really, it like really struck me like as something that I'm like, oh, wow, I, I think I'd like to know more about this and use it. So can you explain what it is and how it has impacted your philosophy of teaching? Sure, sure. So going back just a little bit to sort of explain how I've come to appreciate the value of the connected learning model, a little bit of background about me and how my educational philosophy or my philosophy of teaching has evolved may be helpful to sort of contextualize things. This is such a big, important question. Um, I've always been interested in how people learn and how adults learn particularly. And the way that we learn today is just so much different than how people learned before the internet. I think mm-hmm. fundamentally, we understand more now through learning science and educational research about how humans learn most effectively, more broadly than we did decades ago. So we're exploring things like um, socio- sociocultural dimensions, affective dimensions, and even embodied dimensions of learning beyond just the cognitive or behavioral att- attributes, which have, I think, historically and, and perhaps more traditionally taken priority. So. We also now understand the importance of context, things like that. So in my teaching practice, I don't just take into account cognition. I'm actually most interested in learning experiences. So yes, we can learn about topics A, B, and C, Mm -hmm. but what is the experience that I also want learners to have as we study those topics? Will that experience be engaging, valuable, enjoyable, uh, memorable, and even potentially transformative? So With this focus on learning experiences and the learner experience, our challenge as educators or teachers or designers, I think, is not just to design content, it's to design more holistically for the learner experience, to create an engaging learning experience that will have lasting positive impacts. And that's where I see the value and the relevance of the connected learning model come in. Now, 
in most of the research that's been published so far, this is positioned as a, a model for learning um, with youth. There's not a lot okay. that is, has been published yet. I'm working on that, right? Um, <laughs> with adult learners or in higher education. But the connected learning model is both a design model and a conceptual model. So how we do and how we think about learning. And it essentially emphasizes three spheres of learning. So the first one is learning grounded in personal interest. Mm -hmm. The second is learning grounded in social relationships and social supports. And the third sphere is learning that connects formal and informal settings to advance or open up, increase, if you will, learning opportunities. So again, that's positioned as a model for use with youth, but my goodness, I mean, at, you know, with your background in adult learning, doesn't that also sound like it would be very applicable and relevant for adult learners too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah, I thought so too. So this model was originally proposed by Mimi Ito and her colleagues. She's with the Connected Learning Lab at UC Irvine. And I encourage your listeners to read more about her work and search for podcasts and videos where she speaks about connected learning in more depth because, you know, it's relatively new for me. She's far more knowledgeable and, and articulate than I am, but there's lots of videos that you can find of her keynotes and, and talks on YouTube, which are just awesome. Ito is spelled I-T-O mm -hmm. to help you find her work online. But she, I, I will say, she'd also be another excellent guest for you to reach out to for maybe one of your podcasts in the new year. But a little bit more about the connected learning, it, it really speaks to my teaching heart because it provides a framework that supports a new paradigm of learning. It helps open up um, what, what Ito refers to as new pathways for learning. And it embraces the new pathways for learning that are already being sort of carved out because of the ways we now live and learn with technology. Hmm. We leverage those network technologies that we have access to so much in our daily lives. And that's important to think more deeply about in this work. So at the heart of our work in education and educational research, we're now being called to consider and explore new pathways for learning, new conceptions of what learning is, um, how it happens, where it takes place, how it transpires, what it looks like, what purpose it serves, what influences it, and how to effectively support it. It's a big challenge, but I think it's a fun one. Mm. I think we've come to appreciate how learning happens more holistically and how it's influenced by various dynamics, for example, by environments and unique contexts that it's situated within. Contemporary research on, um, Learning sciences increasingly supports that it's also influenced by some individual attributes of the learner. So things like agency and autonomy, self-regulation, and you know what we're talking about today, learner engagement is just some important examples. But with the advent of the internet, especially as um, it, it's become more interactive and social mm -hmm. and now ubiquitous, we all have that device in our pockets. We have access to that. <laughs> How and where learning happens is just really expanded. That's important because network technologies in many ways have also then expanded educational opportunity and access. Now, in other ways, it's further exacerbated educational inequalities and challenges. I think it's important to acknowledge too, the mm -hmm. pandemic really, you know, shed a light on a lot of that. But when I say education, when I talk about this, what I really mean, or what I'm most interested in is learning, learning more inclusively. So education tends to have a formal connotation. I don't just mean formal education or learning um, or even academic programs. Those things are important. Obviously I work in higher ed, but what I'm talking about, what I'm exploring, what I want to illuminate is the importance of informal learning just as much, maybe even more so mm. because formal learning may be limited 
in scope in terms of like time or access or even funding or have some sort of conclusion, the end of a course or like graduation from your degree program, things like that. But informal learning can happen anytime, anywhere with sufficient internet access and the device in our pockets, as I mentioned earlier. It can with you know the literacy that's needed to use that device most productively or those networks most productively and generatively for learning knowing how to search and evaluate, search for and evaluate information, understanding how to seek out resources and effectively participate in online learning communities or working in virtual teams, having the skill to create media or publish web content and share it with others, all of those things. So those things must be learned too, um, but those are the things that I'm interested in. The ways that we use those network technologies has the potential to open up so many more opportunities. And so this abundance of connectivity that we're currently living in is important, but it must be better understood in terms of what it means for learning and for educators, as I've been mentioning, to help support it. I would say it must be both celebrated and scrutinized, mm. embraced yep. with a healthy balance of openness and critique because there are benefits and affordances, but there are also limitations and risks as well. For me, um, equity is really at the center of this inquiry and of our work as educators, both understanding how to support learning and um, learning with technology, particularly for those who struggle or are marginalized, we can't make assumptions. I think generalizations are often dangerous. We need to study unique opportunities and unique challenges in unique contexts. So that's the Cliff's Notes version of my educational philosophy. And <laughs> from a teaching perspective, those are the things that guide my practice as I'm teaching and designing mm -hmm. courses about learning technologies and with learning technologies and as I'm making decisions in my work. Um, as you mentioned, I, I, I'm a, a researcher, a scholar, an educator, and faculty member in learning technologies um, at the University of Minnesota, and I'm interested in gaining insight about how we can most positively influence learning both in our pedagogy and our design efforts. So the way we teach and the way we design our courses and our, our learning environments, but what can we do to facilitate learning so that it honors the unique needs interests and goals of students while also connecting them to learning resources beyond the class that will you know be valuable to them both during our courses or academic programs and then long afterward as well so mm -hmm. yeah. um yeah so it you know i'm interested in helping students as i mentioned learn about the content that makes up the course or the curriculum of the academic program but i also want to help them gain skill in learning how to learn yeah, yeah. In their own ability to learn with technology Again, yeah, it's in my class or in their degree program, but long after they graduate as well throughout their life. Um, and I found that various forms of network technologies and the internet provide an abundance of opportunities to help learners in that process. Again, if we understand them well enough, the, the internet connects them to people and ideas and resources uh, potentially. And this aligns with the connected learning model that you know we've been talking about, which provides us with a framework that we can remember and draw upon when teaching or designing learning experiences. So number one, be sure to draw on learners' interests for cognitive and effective engagement. Mm -hmm. Help them seek out and establish those social supports and supportive relationships with others for social engagement, not just within the class, but beyond. And number three, connect informal and, and formal learning settings to provide the most authentic learning opportunities for community engagement and perhaps even engagement as global citizens. If you wanna extend that potential out even further, I don't think that's hyperbole. We are you know, quite literally all connected in this big wide world, but mm, yep. just to, and yeah, go ahead. Where, you know, it's, um, as you were talking, you know, and talking about how like, how we learn differently now that we're in a technological world, um, you know, that, that learning itself is different. And, right. you know, 
that what we perceive as learning is also changed that, you know, it used to be you only learned inside of a classroom. And I'm, you know, thinking back to this great graphic um, that someone made, I think in the fifties or something where it's like the classroom of the future. And there's all these little children with these caps on their heads and the teacher is feeding information into this machine that is then being transmitted to all the little brains out there. And it was such it's, it speaks so much to what people thought that learning was, that it was like transmitting knowledge, content from one person's brain to the other. And that's really not what learning is. It mm-hmm. really is so much about your way of viewing the world, you know, your values, how you feel about certain things, what's important to you, what you're interested in. And most ex- importantly, what kind of experiences do you have? Because if you can't connect it to real world experiences, you're not going to remember it. It's exactly. just going to be remain some abstract thing in your mind. Right. And eventually, you know, your brain is so efficient. It's going to dump it if you don't use it. Right. You know, to make so, room for, for new things and new ideas and new knowledge and learning. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, so much of, of what we've seen about school is like, you know, remember it in the classroom for the next test and then forget it for the rest of your life. Like what happens inside a classroom is different than what happens outside of a classroom. And I love that approach of blending the two that, you know, we see, we see kids with technology and how, how they use it, you know, that they explore the world. They have questions they seek the answers to it. And, you know, I didn't have that when I was growing up. I had a stack of encyclopedias on the shelf. That if I Annika, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I could look in the encyclopedia. I didn't, sure. I can't imagine if I had access to a computer when I was right, growing up, what right. that would be like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So much of what you're, you know, what you're talking about speaks to me. And is so, you know, it resonates with me as well, because it's not, you know, knowledge is not, transmitted in my, in my beliefs, in my opinion, it's not transmitted and the learning sciences research supports this. Um, it's, it's constructed, it's built upon. And so we, you know, one of the things that I love about working with adult learners is, um, you, you draw upon their life experiences to then build upon new learning experiences. So it's, it's the process of knowledge building, um, and drawing upon, you know, the value of experience. That's, what's important to me. Mm, Yep. And you know, you mentioned that, that device in our pockets and, you know, the ways that we use it, like we look up information, but so much of what we're doing now is connecting to other people. So, you know, I'm, I'm really interested to see, um, you know, hear about your, your, uh, thoughts and experiences on social media, because Mm -hmm. it's been like, so many people are afraid of it in the classroom. And, you know, they think that it just, it's like opening Pandora's box and it's like, it's just too dangerous because you can't control it, you know? So what are some things that, that you've learned over the years from how students use social media and how, how it might help them to engage more deeply in learning? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a such good questions because you're right. I mean, social media, there's, it's like the wild, wild west. I mean, there's so much out there. And so you really have to weed through it. Um, and be really intentional and selective about how you engage. So that's one of the things that we focus on in the the courses that I teach. And, you know, a bit of of what I focus on in the research study that I'm conducting as well. Um, But, you know, it's the study that I'm conducting has been really fun and really enlightening. And what I've learned 
has provided me with a lot of pedagogical insight and helped me be more sensitive um, in both my teaching and my design work. And I, and I hope that it can help others as well. But at the same time, it raises more questions and curiosities for me, which I think is, you know, what makes this work so compelling and so fun. But Deep engagement in learning is really important, not only for um, educational experience or attainment of knowledge or building skills in a select topic, but also to help students sort of tend to and nourish and satisfy their own curiosities about the things that they want to learn more about on their own and with others now and into the future. So if the ultimate goal is to lead them to pursue self-initiated learning opportunities and adventures on their own, um, you know, we need to think about this professional development for example, in any career field is often self-pursued. It's mm -hmm. not always formal in, in workshops or advanced trainings and things like that. I, I really believe that the most agile and informed professionals are people who love to keep learning, who keep yeah. up with you know, new developments in their field, who stay curious and stay engaged in their field or in current events. So I keep returning to this um, and I wanna emphasize this before I get into social media, because I, I think we can't emphasize enough how important it is for educators and designers to think beyond the course content to how we can help support learning and how to learn, continuing to learn with technology so that our students can most effectively continue in their own learning um, <clears throat> after a course ends or their academic program is completed. That, that should be just the beginning if they're really deeply engaged, right? Like, I mean, commencement actually means the beginning. And so this intersects with social media in a couple of ways. First, I've always been intrigued by the draw that social media has. It engages us, it draws us in, it keeps us coming back for better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> the more I thought about social media, I'm just so curious about it. And I've, I've seen the proliferation of different platforms. You know, I'm old enough to see, you know, new things come and, and, and old things go. I, I just started thinking about how that relates to engagement and learning. How can we leverage that innate interest people seem to have in social media or that pull or draw that sort of it, it, it sort of organically has for education and learning. Um, hmm. you, you hear a lot too about the importance of meeting learners where they're at. Yeah. Well, shoot, if so many of our students are already on social media, why not explore how to bring that into the class yeah. as an alternative way to engage them, to explore content together, to discuss it, and to have conversations about you know, their ideas and their perspectives and their understanding to provide an alternative way for students to demonstrate, demonstrate their knowledge or their skills even. And of course, there's always the criticism, as you mentioned, that social media, you know, has negative things associated with well, uh, with it as well. Um, you know, it can be considered sometimes a time sink or an unproductive rabbit hole or a waste of time or, you know, just a, a distraction in general. Or mean. <laughs> Hostile, right? Hostile yep. communications. Certainly, all of those things, yes. But I also see the potential that it has mm. for it to be a valuable resource for learning too. And so I started thinking in, in my practice about ways to help students learn how to learn generatively with social media, how to use it to connect to people, ideas, and resources for learning about various topics, how to evaluate sources and information for credibility, mm -hmm. um, reliability, all of those things. What started out as sort of a playful teaching exercise for me has now turned into a formal research project of mine over the last four years. I, I started a longitudinal phenomenological study of undergraduate courses just before the pandemic um, to investigate and learn more about how learning with social media influences students' experiences. And it's shed a lot of light. It's raised a lot of questions about how it influences learner engagement and particularly that sort of rose to the surface 
Um, so the study currently focuses on how various dynamics influence the learner experience and influence learner engagement. The bottom line in my findings from this research so far indicates that um, when learning with social media, there are certain dynamics that can either add to learner engagement and support it or have the potential to detract from or decrease learner engagement as well. So there are pedagogical dynamics of influence, there are design dynamics, and there are learner characteristics that influence engagement when learning with social media. So all of those things must be considered. And that's what I'm you know, continuing to study and explore in my research. Hmm. So then, so social media is such a huge thing. There's, I mean, it, it could be like a, uh, a formal chat on uh, Twitter, or it could be like a Facebook group, or it could be like the latest dance craze on TikTok, you know, like, so practically, like what are, are you suggesting that teachers just kind of open the door to social media? Or do you have like a, like strategies for them? Like if someone wanted to start with social media, in the classroom, what, what tips would you have for them? Sure, sure. I guess to answer this question, I, I base that upon what I've learned from my research and the research of others like Mimi Ito and from my own professional experience teaching in higher education. So there definitely are strategies and principles that can help you guide that work. And I think the connected learning model is super helpful for making this work because again, there are risks and limitations that need to be acknowledged so that social media is integrated into a class with success. You can't always guarantee that, of course, um, but as a teacher, we're always experimenting and trying th new things. You know, I, I'm not sure that there always is a guarantee. You, you have to just make sure that your design decisions are pedagogically grounded um, and theoretically informed to ensure that it's a calculated risk that you're well prepared to take. And then you just have to be responsive and adjust as necessary. That's sort of the both the science and the art of, of teaching and design. But I think I'd first defer to the recommendations that Ito and others have made when using connected learning as a design model based on research. They proposed three guiding principles. So the first one is to integrate hands-on production-centered learning. So a concrete example of this would be to have students actually do and create something, produce something, ideally you know, something that they're proud of or, or generally interested in. And then the second principle is to include openly networked components. This makes their work more authentic and connected to the real world and to social supports in the real world as well. Maybe opening up the class beyond the constraints of the classroom or the LMS, for example, using more open resources and platforms and accessing or gaining from other learning materials and tools and communities that you know, are, exist online. Open networks could also include Twitter activities you know, where they establish a professional learning network and learn mm -hmm. how to do that. Um, while discussing class topics with their classmates and others beyond the class. The third principle um, within the connected learning model as a, as a design model is to help establish a sense of shared purpose among learners. That's that cohesion that's really important. And that cohesion is important in any online learning community, I think. Um, learning with social media is most engaging and most effective when students are interacting with one another and with you as the instructor or the educator. You're all working together, you know, toward that with that shared purpose toward a common goal, communicating, collaborating, and even creating new things together, creating new ideas, new knowledge, new understanding, and even new projects. Um, I'm just trying to think of some concrete examples. For example, um, students can work together to build a website or create an Instagram account and post informative content, 
or mm. you know, create a social media campaign to raise awareness of a problem in their local community or a social justice issue. The, perhaps the most poignant example of this that comes to mind um, in Minneapolis during the protests following the death of George Floyd. You know, some of our undergraduate students in my own classes and in the others that I studied were very active on social media as activists, you know, channeling their anger and frustration and care mm. um, into digital activism for collective awareness and crowdsourcing resources, you know, talking through those things um, with them in the class. They were so deeply engaged in that work and in those issues, you know, how could they not be? It was happening, you know, right, right down the street. And, and how could we then as ethically responsible educators not connect that to the classroom? You know, we couldn't just ignore it. So to connect what was happening in their lives, in our community, in the world really with what we were studying that was important. We, I, you know, we all felt we had a responsibility to do that and we talked about it at length. It was really powerful and, and what a powerful way to genuinely authentically learn with and through social media to talk about the hostility yeah. But then to also talk about, you know, the, the generative potential as well. So these are just some examples that I share um, mm -hmm. with the hope, I guess, that they can sort of inspire, get others to think about um, giving this a try in their own classes and to consider the possibilities. But I also offer some recommendations and even some cautions based upon my own research findings and experiences integrating social media mm -hmm. um, in, in, in classes, prepare for and provide adequate instructor support and modeling. You know, you have to be very present. The teaching presence that we talk about from the community of inquiry model, that's just, just so important, um, you know, for so many reasons, but but also, you know, this, this approach is often very new to students. Maybe they've mm -hmm. never used social media in any of their college courses. So for a professor to say, okay, folks, you know, now instead of using a discussion forum on Canvas or, you know, Google Classroom or whatnot, we're gonna move our discussions to Twitter or Slack. Well. You know, some students may feel sort of strange about this, or it might be disorienting. So, it does take patience, guidance, encouragement, modeling, scaffolding, um, all of those things, supportive things, supportive structures along the way. Um, mm. It's definitely not quick and dirty, but I've also found that students, as students become more familiar and comfortable, maybe even resistant to this new way of learning online, mm -hmm. they're all in. Like, and it often happens really soon. Not for everyone, you know, it's those individual attributes, but. Um, so many students can really take this to the next level beyond, you know, what you could have even imagined as possible in terms of generative productive learning. Um, I still have another example. I still have former students that I'm still connected with on Twitter who are now part of my professional learning network, and I'm a mm. part of theirs. Wow. I share ideas and resources with, you know, about not just about technology or education, you know, even like the best hiking trails in Minnesota or yoga studios in Minneapolis, things like that. And hmm. I also receive emails or messages from former students on LinkedIn about how much they gained from, you know, these social media based integrated learning activities and how they're continuing to use social media productively in their professional or personal lives for learning. Wow. But another, another challenge caution, um, maybe that I, that I will share is that social media tends to blur the lines. Mm -hmm. in our personal lives and our professional or academic lives. Now, some students or adult learners may not be comfortable with that, and you have to respect yeah. that. One of the participants in the study I'm conducting said during an interview that um, their, their friends private messaged them about their Twitter account and, and said, you know, warning, I think you've been hacked because they know, <laughs> you know strange new postings about serious topics or professional topics, whereas 
you know, their usual Twitter postings, postings typically have been just like memes or cat videos or musings yeah, about, yeah. you know, grad life or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's important to take that into consideration too. And that, that, that I think is, has been really profoundly illuminated in the narratives that participants have been sharing in my study. The reality of how learning happens often blends across both our personal and academic life and our use of social media with connections to various people in our life then also often blurs the lines between our well, personal and our professional academic life. Like my mom keeps trying to follow me on Twitter and she's been posting like family photos and replies uh, to my tweets, which like I've, I've established that as a space for professional and educational interaction yeah. and stuff. Like it was a little embarrassing, right? So these realities must be considered too and adjusted for. Yeah. You Do know, you boundaries are hard. <laughs> yeah. Do you suggest that students create different accounts so that they have more of like, you know, uh, a public persona, you know, on one social media account and then like a private, more private one where your mom can post pictures of, you know, you as a kid or whatever, um, so that you kind of don't blend the two. Exactly. Exactly. And that's really what it's about. Um, I, I think we just need to find ways to adjust and make it work for us and for our, our learners, whatever that might mean. So, you know, the lines are already blurred and blended. One sort of blends into the other realistically. Mm -hmm. um, can we really compartmentalize those parts of our identity? You know, I think about that a lot too, like me as mom, daughter, sister, friend versus me as academic educator and professional. You know, sometimes it's easy to separate those things. Sometimes it's not, but mm -hmm. um, I think it's especially difficult to separate them online. So we need to think about that and we need to adjust, sort of mediate yeah. and negotiate those things. Set boundaries if that makes us more comfortable. And so with regard to using social media in the class, as you mentioned, you know, be responsive as a teacher or designer, offer students alternatives or workarounds. If they're not comfortable with their personal life blurring with their academic life, if they do want to keep those separate, be sensitive to that. Maybe, as you mentioned, maybe they create a separate account for class and not use their personal account. Yeah. Um, maybe they even use a pseudonym rather than the real yeah. name in class accounts if they don't feel comfortable sharing their perspectives or their ideas or projects that they create for class outwardly in an open network or platform like Medium or Twitter. Privacy is really important to honor and respect too. You know, that's another element to this. Yeah, so. yeah. So you you mentioned like a really, you know, powerful, authentic experience around the George Floyd protests, but I can imagine that would be really scary for a lot of teachers to kind of, you know, feel like they've lost control of the discourse in a classroom. Awesome. So. How, how do you, you know, what would you counsel to, to faculty who feel like they, they wouldn't know how to handle something like that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's just a matter of being authentic with your students. I mean, humanizing this whole process, humanizing the process of life, but humanizing education is really important as well. You know, you can, you can share with your students as, as adult learners that, you know, these are topics that are scary for all of us and it's, they're difficult to talk about, but what's the alternative? Should we just mm -hmm. ignore them? Yeah. You know, those, they just, those, those things just continue to, to fuel and grow and, and, you know, remain, remain issues. So I, I think we have a responsibility to take them up, you know, mm -hmm. gently, sensitively, kindly, and compassionately. And it's okay to say, you know, I let's let's just open this up for discussion. I'm not sure to how how to even approach this because that that was the situation for me as an educator here in Minneapolis. 
um, in my online classes, in the classes that I taught face-to-face, -face, you know, to show up in a classroom while those things were going on, while students, you know, what we had curfew in place, while students were showing up to class or not, I just, I just had to use a pedagogy of care and compassion yeah. and just say, you know, we're going to open this up. You know, we may have had, you know, um, a particular topic on the on the agenda for that day of class or that week of class, but we're going to just open this up as a space for you to share your feelings, what you're feeling right now. And, you know, by and large, students are very respectful of that um, and just really, really appreciate it. So you just, you approach it carefully, cautiously with sensitivity mm -hmm. and, you know, just use a humanized approach. That would be my best recommendation. Mm, yeah. And, you know, imagine if you could actually make a connection with course content over something powerful that's happening in the world, you know, Absolutely. like if you were looking at like climate change activism and you happen to connect that to your statistics content or something like that, you know, like then that's a good blurring between classroom life and real life. That's right. That's right. So, and that's why I say like, you know, the blurring oftentimes already exists mm -hmm. because it's really cool when an issue we're exploring in class is playing out in the media, such as, you know, positive digital activism regarding climate change and, you know, environmental issues. Um, it's good and generative and productive to see the things that we're studying in the class play out in real life. Like this, these, these issues really do have real world evidence and, and here's yeah. a case to support that. Um, but, you know, then there are times when we do need to, you know, be cautious of the blurring line. So it's both, again, you know, I mentioned it earlier, it's not either or, it's both and, and it just requires, you know, a, a sensitivity to those issues and a responsiveness. Mm. So now I have three questions that I ask all of our guests. Uh, first, what is a major barrier to learner engagement that you have experienced? Mm. Oh, that's a great question. So I would say, I mean, there are, there are lots of barriers. I mean, learner engagement is sort of a universal challenge of educators everywhere, I feel like, but I would say that this relates to concerns that I have about assumptions and generalizations that we make about learners. The assumptions that we quite often make, it makes it difficult to authentically foster and support learner engagement on an individual level, because I think learner engagement can often be such an individual thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it manifests differently, it projects differently, it's influenced differently, and, and and another thing, it can also be fleeting. It's yeah. not just, you know, not just among individuals or students, but even within individual students themselves. Engagement is a moving target. So what a learner finds engaging, um, maybe, you know, they may be completely disinterested in that um, at another time. So they're engaged one moment and then later it can feel, feel sort of boring or monotonous or even tiresome or you know, sometimes even frustrating to them yeah. in the next moment. We, we exist in multitudes. Humans are just really complex. So <laughs> it, it's a moving target, which means it's difficult to study and it's very challenging to foster and support it. Um, another thing I would say, you know, remember that abundance of con connectivity that I referred to earlier, mm -hmm. that complicates this. The internet is, is a lot of times like drinking from a fire hose. You know, there's so much out there. There's so much information, good and bad. And there's so much vying for our attention, our engagement. So this makes it tough too. Internet technologies, the internet in general, social media in particular, can, can be both a valuable resource and a limiting barrier to learning and learner engagement. 
as, as educators and learning designers, we just have to keep studying it, keep being responsive to what's needed um, for it to be most effectively integrated uh, and then keep learning, you know, trying new things, adjusting as necessary, you know, mm. sort of all of it. Yep. Yeah. So, but that, then that leads me to my next question about the future. What should we start thinking about or exploring in our discussions and learner engagement that isn't fully being addressed yet? Mm-hmm. So I'll draw upon something that I mentioned earlier, you know, like historically what we've come to know about education and learning is important, you know, drawing upon the work that's been done over decades, centuries, whatever. I also believe that we need to remain open, mm-hmm. um, push back against some of the, you know, that some of those former conceptions of what learning is. I believe we really need to keep learning, exploring how people learn with technology and how digital culture is influencing learning today and in the future, like, like on a fundamental level, mm. because how, when, and why people are engaged in learning continues to shape shift and it will continue to do so. Um, it's influenced by many factors, socially, culturally, contextually, a teacher or a, an educator isn't the only source of authority or knowledge or information mm. anymore, yeah. or even educational opportunity. And, and we can influence engagement, but we aren't the only influence. Being open to new ideas and new approaches is critical. Appreciating, um, you know, our responsibility that we have to our students is important, but so is relinquishing some control a little bit too, I think, you know, being open to new ways of doing and new spaces for students to engage in learning and be engaged in learning, new spaces for learning and new engagement, you know, allowing that to happen. These are the things that we have to keep exploring in the future. And then one more thing, going back to another thing that I mentioned earlier, the line, you know, keeping in mind that the lines between formal learning and informal learning blend in good ways and in bad ways. And how and where learning is experienced doesn't just happen in schools or out of schools, inside classrooms or outside classrooms, offline or online, in informal ways or in in our our own time or in informal informal ways in our academic programs. It's it's both and, not either or. It's all connected. We tend to separate them in theory to study them and whatnot, but the practical reality is that they're blended and these lines are blurred increasingly. So, so let's continue to explore that and implicate and investigate how these things are all connected in this way, you know, learning and life and engagement, how it's really experienced. It's all about connections for me in this work. Mm, Yeah. And that kind of takes some of the focus off the technology itself and really looking at, you know, the processes of learning and Uh how, you know, how our, our culture and our daily activities and what's going on in our minds and how we relate to other people. Those are kinds of the things that seem to be influencing learning more than whether or not you're using social media or whether or not you're, you know, using your LMS, you know, it makes me uh, think of, you know, Clark's classic article about, um, you know, that the, the tool doesn't really matter. It's, you know, the, the method and the teacher that really changes things. Absolutely. I think there are just so many affordances with technology that, yeah, you can do some things with social media and the internet that that weren't possible before. So you have now some, some new opportunities that, that should be explored Mm -hmm. in, in research. Right on. I completely agree. And uh, what I, yeah, yeah, what I love too about the connected learning model, and I should mention this is 
you know, fundamentally, as it's described and laid out with those, you know, three spheres of learning, um, in particular, they, they don't, when they describe that, they don't um, focus on technology particularly. Now, they, they acknowledge and say that technology amplifies, they use the word amplify, amplifies mm -hmm. opportunities for connected learning, but it really is fundamentally about learning itself. It places the emphasis there as it should be. And I think that's really important to your points. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So as we wrap up, my final question is, what is the one thing you want people to remember from this conversation about learner engagement? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I would say first and foremost, philosophically, be open to new conceptions of learning and new learning pathways, including you know where it happens, how it occurs, and even the purpose that it serves. And then practically be open to new ways of learning, new ways of doing and being in learning environments. And this includes new ways of, to demonstrate learning or knowledge gains, new ways to participate in the process of learning. This is important for educators and learning designers to remember, I think. You know, we, 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 we like to say that we embrace creative innovations and yet we keep going with the same with the same approaches, it seems like. Like we tend to continue to prioritize the, the standard LMS, right? When yep. we design and teach a course. And that's that's our that's our home base, that's our, our foundation. Rightfully so, I, I get it. But why do we always assume that learning needs to be managed and systematized or highly structured? How might some of those things actually serve as constraints to learning mm, and yep. creative knowledge building as it's, it actually occurs and as it's actually experienced? You know, how might those things dampen learner engagement and how learning is actually experienced? I think in reality, the process of learning is, is beautifully messy and complex. Um, so what new things then can we try and consider and be open to? Mm. Say. Well, thank you. I love that. And yeah. Angel, thank you so much for this great conversation. Aww about learner engagement and social media and connected learning and all these things that I love talking about. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so great. Thank you for your time today as well. I just appreciate the opportunity to you know, talk about these things and share some of my ideas and my work very humbly. Um, it was really fun. I, and, and I'd love to connect with your listeners to discuss these issues in more depth. So I encourage anyone who's interested to follow me on Twitter. I'm at um, Pazurek A, so P-A-Z-U-R-E-K-A, or you can connect with me on, on LinkedIn. I, I'd love to hear from others on these ideas, both pushbacks and some resistance, because I'm always open to, you know, diversity of thought and new, new ways of thinking about things and, um, you know, different things that I could potentially look into in my research that they're interested in as well with regards to, you know, both the challenges and the opportunities that social media holds for learning. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Anne. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. Learner Engagement Activated is produced by the Learner Engagement Division of the Association for Educational Communications and Technology. This episode was hosted by Anne Fency with sound editing and production by Anne Fency. The music is from Purple Planet. Visit the Learner Engagement Division online at www.learnerengagement.org and find out more about the Association for Educational Communications and Technology at aect.org.